I don't believe in waiting till everything is perfect because then you'll never do anything. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Hello. I am so excited to introduce you to Lorraine Laddish, also known as the Flawed Yogini. She is a bilingual badass writer and social media influencer for women over 50. In her 40s, she moved from Spain to Florida with her husband at the time. And then the 2008 recession took the rug out from under her. She lost her marriage, her savings, and her source of income, and she found herself absolutely broke emotionally and financially. She was suddenly a single mother with two little girls to take care of, but with the help and inspiration from many friends along the way, she managed to reinvent her writing career by taking it online. If you were to follow her on Instagram today, you'd see a beautiful, confident 59-year-old woman. But what we're talking about today is what it took to get her from point A to point B. I can't wait for you to meet her. So we're going to dive right in. But first, I want to take a minute, a quick minute to thank you. I know your time is valuable. So thank you so much for choosing to spend a little of it with me. And thank you to those of you who took extra time to leave reviews. I see you guys tuning in. It blows me away when I see that some of you are listening from the UK Australia, New Zealand, Poland, and France. I've even seen downloads from Guatemala and Jamaica. It makes me so stinking happy to think that there are so many of us who are questioning the old story about aging. So many of us who want to make waves as we age. So thanks so much for going on this journey with me. Okay, before I cry, let's meet Lorraine Laddish. Let's go. Hey, Lorraine, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Always. It, it, it feels like a long time coming. I'm very excited. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, we've tried to make this happen for a while. Yeah, but also I've just been admiring you from afar for a while. Uh, I saw you. I Actually, I think the first time I noticed you was in Clubhouse, even though you're not I know you don't live in Clubhouse a lot, but it was back when Clubhouse was really blowing up. And uh, I think it was probably in Jack Perez's second act sister's room. And, um, you know, saw your super cool photo of you doing that balancing pose where your legs are straight out. And I'm like, whoa, who is this woman? And uh, then went and started looking up what you do and and got more and more and more impressed with you as a human being and not well, just it's mutual it's mutual definitely <laughs> thank you thank you um so my goodness i i feel like what i want to do is go back in time to um i guess it was around the the, the great recession 2008 right i, I that's the story i think i want to start with mm-hmm. for you because it's just so 
I had my own story at that point in time. I think that was a very pivotal moment. I think, you know, it's so interesting. There's these moments in time where something big happens in society and then, but then there's all these individual stories that come out of those bigger events, like, you know, 2020 and COVID, so many people rethinking. And I know that some massive pivotal things happened for you around that time, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in 2008, it was kind of the culmination of a marriage that was not doing well for a few years. Um, it was also, I had moved from, I'm half Spanish, half American, but I've lived most of my Spain, my life in Spain. And then I moved with my ex-husband at the age of 41 and my two little kids, uh, one was four months old and the other one was three. And we moved to Florida because of my hus- ex-husband's uh, work. I had always made a living as a communicator, as a translator, interpreter, um, and also to do with fitness. Um, so words and, and body movement are, are my two languages, so to speak. So we're here in Florida and I find work as a uh, journalist, which was not my career, but I, um, as a published author and a writer, I found work in that um, field. And the recession rolls around and my ex-husband then had no work, neither did I, because nobody wanted to, you know, all the, the publications were closing down. I did not have a source of income. And we had gone through our savings. We had nothing. And I had done everything to try and salvage the relationship because I come from a broken home myself. And I feel that my family didn't deal with the divorce too well. So <laughs> I didn't want to do that myself. And having been a, a later mom at a later time in life, I really wanted to make sure that what I was doing was the right thing. So we um, we had tried couples therapy, we had tried seminars, we had tried a trial separation, everything. But when I had nothing, I was like, man, I don't, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I have, I, I just can't. And so when I left the the marriage, I left with absolutely nothing. Um, and I just took my two little kids who were then four and seven, uh, my laptop. Um, I, I didn't even have a computer, um, like a Wi-Fi at the no place I was at because I didn't have money, so I piggybacked off the neighbor's Wi-Fi. Um, I had to sell, you know, I, I only wear silver now because um, back then to pay rent at one point, I had to sell like my family's heirlooms, things that my grandmother had given me, mm. a ring that my grandfather was wearing the day he died, mm. and things that had been gifted to my kids when they were um, born and stuff like that. So. You know, that was um, that was a big thing. And um, a couple of years later, I had to file for personal bankruptcy, which was harder for me than the divorce itself. The proceeding of the divorce was not as hard as that. And so I found myself at 45, 44, 45 um, on welfare, on food stamps with two little girls. And I have never had a job by choice. I have always made a living on my own self as a self-employed person. So of course, um, uh, looking for a job at 45 with no experience yeah. other than being self-employed 
was really hard, especially in that time. You know, like you end up underemployed is what yeah, happens. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, now my my you know, you see kids who are sixteen getting jobs right and left, but of course in your if you're in your mid forties, they're gonna be like, No, we're gonna hire this other kid, right? So anyhow, um with help uh from my family, I stayed in the United States. My my dad said, Why don't you come back to Spain? And I was like, first of all, I want my kids to be close to their dad. And second, um, what am I going to do in Spain at my age? Because there's a lot of ageism in Spain. And I, um, I mean, somebody my age, I'm almost 60, um, would not be making a living doing what I do now, which I will explain in a bit what happened, <laughs> but it would be impossible. So I stayed here and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And as I said, my, my family, um, sent me a little bit of money from Spain. My sister helped me a little bit. And um, then I had the welfare, food stamps for the kids. And at the same time, I tried to do a little direct selling, uh, jewelry. Um, and while it was okay, it did not help me completely pay the bills. At the time, I was doing something that might seem really frivolous, but I was so down. And I have a history of depression and anxiety and an eating disorder that lasted 20 years. So I am familiar with that feeling of when you're getting in that dark place. And I was like, I can't do this. I have two children. I have to get out of here and I cannot let myself stay in bed. So I signed up to these cheap uh, dance classes and I would drive 40 minutes to those dance classes, uh, Latin dance. and. Um, Aside from just forgetting everything and getting those, you know, minutes of joy, sometimes I would bring the kids. It was a very healthy, nice environment. Um, I met people and Facebook was just starting. And so uh, this young entrepreneur who had connected with me on Facebook said, hey, I see you're a writer. And I'm like, yes, I am. And so he said he needed a writer. And I started, started getting very excited, thinking, hey, I'm going to get back on track with how I make a living. But what he wanted was um, some blog posts about couponing. And he said to me, they have to be SEO friendly. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know about search engine optimization or anything. Like mm -hmm. I'd had a blog online, but I was just venting. I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, but I said, yes. And I learned about search engine optimization. Um, I got paid $12 a pop, but that was not a lot. But for me, it was everything. I was making a living writing something. And eventually, when I had been writing for the Palm Beach Post um, in Spanish for four years, I made so many contacts that when everybody was starting to resurface online and um, connect on Facebook, a lot of people remembered my professionalism and remembered how easy and nice it was to work together. So they reached out with, hey, somebody needs uh, a writer, a, a Latina writer, Hispanic writer on this subject or on moms or whatever. Long story short, I applied for a gig with about.com that then belonged to the New York Times. It was to be the expert as a mom in Spanish. I had to learn HTML, um, SEO, of course, um, how to set up the whole website. It was really hard. And I thought, if I don't get the gig, at least I will learn for free. Yeah. I mean, I, they, they weren't really teaching me, but it was they gave you the tools and you had to figure it out. I got the wow. gig. 
But that gig was 650 bucks a month, and I cried of joy, you know, because then I could let go of my father sending me money or my sister or something like that, which, again, they didn't send me a lot, but what they could. We were all suffering during that time um, because of the recession. So I got that gig, and because people would would see what I was doing um, with it, eventually I landed another gig as... um, managing editor of a new website for Latinos. And from there, I went to editor-in-chief of a Latina website, uh, Latina mom website. And I did that for two years. And I managed uh, in both jobs, I managed, not not jobs, in both positions as a contractor, I managed a bunch of writers, um, the content, the social media. And that gave me the, the know-how or the desire to launch my own thing again and when I turned 50 um, by then I had already met my now second and hopefully that's it husband who is the love of my life Uh who happens to be a writer as well a photographer and who also is divorced and has a child so we had three kids uh, between the both of us and Now, what I do is that I have a small media company called Viva 50 Media. It's been going since I was 50, and I'm turning 59 very, very soon, next month. And I told my husband when I started that it's a, it's a website for women in English and in Spanish because I'm bilingual and because mm-hmm. I enjoy um, creating content in both languages. And I said to my husband, because I knew what it was like to manage massive budgets and and massive traffic and lots of writers and all this. And I said, you know, I don't know how how long it's going to take for this to be profitable or if we will be able to. Mm -hmm. In less than a year, I replaced my income as editor-in-chief of the other website that I was managing. That's amazing. In less than one year. But... Why did that happen? Because I had the hunger, I had the need. Because one of the things that I think that I sometimes don't identify with other midlife women is that sometimes they are at that point where they're comfortable. Like I had to file for personal bankruptcy. I divorced, I had nothing, I had less than nothing. And so when I met my husband, he was kind of in the same position, my now husband. Mm -hmm. So we both kind of, together we just soared like we had never done before and um that's so hopeful oh my gosh now i'm gonna cry now um in um viva 50 makes multiple six figures a year wow (laughs) and so um thinking back to when i cried because i got the 600 dollar gig a month and to know that all that hard work paid off where Um, companies want to work with me because we provide, um, I take care to improve our picture taking, our video, um, you know, uh, shooting, or, you know, my writing. I just, and there's so much that I do that people don't even see. Like people, a lot of people, like maybe you saw me on Clubhouse and then Instagram, but Instagram is a tiny part of what I do. Instagram is just one piece of the puzzle. There are several Instagram accounts. There are three websites. One is the my, my flagship website. Um, but then Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, the, just the whole thing that is, you know, together. But we don't just do sponsored posts. People hire me to do things that you will never see because 
in the interim of all this, I, um, I also became a certified yoga instructor. I was a fitness instructor when I was younger. Um, I've always worked out, but I had a big uh, scare with colon cancer, which never didn't turn into colon cancer, but could have been lost. Um, one of my best friends four years ago uh, to cancer, then two others, my grandmother died. And that year I said, I'm going to be a, fit, uh, a certified yoga instructor. And I did 500 hours of training instead of just the standard 200 that people start out with. Yeah. And with all my experience as a dancer, as a f uh, fitness instructor, when I was younger and all that, that all tied in. And so now I get hired as well to lead fitness classes, um, like for ARP or, um, for apps that belong to um, health uh, insurance companies and things like that, you know, and I'm hired as a spokesperson or to do satellite media tours or to do content for brands that lives on their website. But again, nobody will see it on Instagram. So wow. I, I, I feel and I get to work with my husband. You have an empire, Lorraine. No, it's very tiny, but, it, <laughs> but I have to say, I love, I love it. I, I it is just so, ah, uh, it, it is, it is an example of what's possible, and, I, and just amazing. The, the thing is that, um, you know, I don't. Uh, how would I explain this? It's like when I get interviewed or when I talk to people, I never have an agenda, thankfully, because it's not like I have to push this. I have to put that. I just feel that no matter what I'm doing, um, I want it to be helpful for others. You know, I want it to mean something like all the crap that I've gone through. If it can help someone else. Well, that would be great. Yeah. I didn't go through it in vain. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Right. Of, of anything I've ever gone through in my life. Wow. I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> <laughs> Just amazing. I mean, it, it's, it does go to show. I, I think you have a good point when you say that, um, you know, a lot of other uh, women and people in, in midlife, you, you know, a lot of times they'll get to a point where there's a certain amount of comfort, material comfort, right? But there's even the most successful person um, can have an underlying unsettled thing happening, but not do anything about it because there is a certain amount of comfort materially. And then it's hard to, when you have something to lose, it's hard to take chances, if, if that makes sense. Whereas you were in a position where you had nothing to lose, you had already lost. Mm -hmm. and then had to find your your way out of that and did so with like tremendous grace i mean oh goodness oh but even nowadays you know it's it's interesting because um it could be easy to say yes to like like i have sponsorships that are somebody's salary okay nowadays and i have walked away from some without knowing because this is a thing i am i am it takes a, a certain amount of like nerves of steel and faith to live the way I live and have lived all my life, which is not knowing how much money I'm going to make next month, mm -hmm. usually, unless I had as a contractor, I was doing like as, as a um, as an editor in chief or someone, um, they would give me a certain amount of money every month. 
And that's the only time where I kind of knew what I was going to make. But other than that, it's like I it's hard. You know, you, you just you just don't know. But for me personally, even at this stage of the game, um, there's nothing is for certain. You're, you're only as good as your last gig. And I know this. I could be in the same position that I was in in 2008 any day. And I knew that when 2020 started, we started losing sponsors. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be 2008 all over again. And I was scared. And two months later, not even, we started getting way more. And it was our best year ever because we were already online and people wanted to, you know, reach people online. And then 2021 was better and 2022 is poised to be better than any of the other two years. Um, but I still live with that idea of the amount of money that something is going to pay me is not nearly as important as the energy that that money brings with it. If it's bad money, like bad energy money, I will not take it, even if I don't have anything else to back up. And I've done it. And it's been hard. That is incredible. (laughs) That is incredible. That That is knowing yourself. And that is probably the work that you've done in yoga, I'm gonna guess that has enabled you to be aware of that gut feeling that tells you whether or not it's good energy or bad energy and you know and then having the the nerves of steel to make the choice that's a yes or a no based on that that's incredible i i, I mean the only thing i'm worried about here Lorraine for for listeners is you know, we we tend to look at other people's achievements, and I've had, I've just, quite frankly, I've, I've had friends tell me that they listen to my podcast and sometimes feel worse, which is so not the goal of this podcast. Oh, I but, hear you. I but get they that feel too. worse because they're hearing somebody who they think they're they're like, oh, well, that's great for them. They're obviously amazing. Um, do you? I mean, do you ever feel like? like you like less than than who you clearly are yes of course and you know this um and we've already talked about um and we're not going to talk about the specifics but that i'm dealing with very big parenting issues and i have cried thinking what happened there's shame in that like why did one can get in trouble what happened you know there's there's always there will always be struggles you know and sometimes of course i look at other women and i'm like oh my goodness they they look so happy it looks like they have the perfect family like they've been married for 40 years and how come i had to get divorced and have nothing and you know every time i post something on instagram every time i write something i have doubts every single time but every single time that i hit post it doesn't belong to me anymore it's out in the world and one thing that I do share, especially in my stories on Instagram, is the reality of my day to day. And there are days, um, like very recently, I had a very close brush with depression again. And I like to share those things simply because of that. I share my messy home. I share that we don't live in a million dollar home or, you know, it's it's a modest place. And But I have control of my day and I I, I work really hard to create the inner life that I want despite life's troubles. 
because they're never going to go away. You know, the idea that it's part of life, right? You no, know, like I, I, how would I explain this is, is I will never, I would never want anyone to look at me and, and be jealous. Like somebody said, oh, for your birthday, you should do, I don't know what. And then we will all be envious. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to be envious of anything. You know? And I'm that's what I love about, it's what I love about it. As I've followed you, I mean, you, you are this gorgeous package, Lorraine. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard not to think that somebody might look at you and be like, oh my gosh, she's just like, you know, you look at somebody who, who is just beautiful and instantly the comparanoia, I call it, you get the comparanoia feelings where you're like, well, they're amazing. But what I love about what you have to say and the, the, the messaging that you put behind those images that are gorgeous, that are on your Instagram feed, is that there is this very real approach underneath all that that says look this is a glossy thing i'm showing you but the reality is this this yeah. is this is what i struggle with this is what i've been through this is what i'm going through and there's a transparency to a, to what you're putting out in the world that is very humanizing and very relatable and you manage to overcome that um, what could be a barrier between you and your audience by being real. And I totally appreciate that with what you do. Well, I do know that, um, you know, a lot of women my age might not follow me or might unfollow me because I trigger them. But here's the thing. Um, I think you know this, and I have briefly talked about it. I, when I had this horrible eating disorder for 20 years, it was not glamorous. It was I almost died. Um, I hated myself. I hated um, everything about me, just not only my body, just myself as a person. And when you have worked really hard to get out of that dark space, you know, I, I just want to let other people know that you can get out of that, you know, and you can say, hey, you know, I'm not going to let this rule my life now that I'm entering my older age, you know, just know, I, I don't want my kids to do it. I don't want to do it again. It doesn't make any sense. But here's something else. And, and I think about it a lot, you know, I have no control about how about over, I have no control over how somebody feels when they see what I do, or look at me or what have you. Somebody will be inspired and somebody will be triggered. And I've, I've had to make peace with the fact that that is not about me. Mm. That is about the person. For example, recently in the past two months, I have had a really bad injury on both shoulders, which has prevented me from doing the handstands, the, the, the everything, you know, very painful, very frustrating. I've cried a lot. I'm on my way to recovery. However, when I see somebody else doing handstands and somebody my age and doing things that I am unable or should not be doing right now, I, I don't feel bad. I don't feel like I don't feel like writing to them saying, oh, my God, well, I can't do it because I have. No, I am very happy. I'm inspired that maybe I can do it again. And if I can't, I had a good run. I love that. I, was no, it's, it's, I feel the same way. I see I see what you're doing and I think, oh, I want to go get yoga teacher training. I want to, you know, I want to do it, you know, because yeah. it's, actually it's, it's yoga teacher training is I didn't do it 
to teach yoga. I do teach yoga here and there, but it's it's more because it teaches me how to be in the world. And it's something that I pursued from a very young age. I started doing yoga at 12, which is a little ridiculous, but but I didn't really understand the depth of it. And, and it doesn't happen on the yoga mat. It happens mm. when you're dealing with awful stuff that we all deal with, with loss, with grief, with addiction, with, um, you know, loss, with things going wrong. And that is where I am discovering, you know, even, even when I, I've shared this recently, that sometimes I have had to take sponsored pictures when something really bad was happening in my life. And it's not because I'm dedicated, it's because I'm a professional, you know, and that is, if you have control over your mind, you can control your emotions. And if you can control your emotions, you can you can do anything. Yeah, and that your emotions that bad days. Right. Your emotions come from your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're if you're feeding yourself certain thoughts, those are gonna affect your emotions, which are they gonna then gonna affect your actions, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got the cycle going because then your actions give you results that then tell you, Oh, that thought that I had is right. Correct. And then you're in the spiral of of awfulness, or or if you're using if you're if you're giving yourself thoughts that are able to help you be buoyant and resilient, mm -hmm. then you've got that. I mean, you've got that figured out. Oh my gosh, Lorraine, how <laughs> did you like? There had to have been a moment like with the eating disorder and all the stuff. Can, I don't know if you can take yourself back to that moment, but what did you do or what was it? Was it habit changes that, that, no, that it wasn't it just you? one thing? Um, no, I started, I mean, my, my first, um, like acting out an eating disorder. I think I was, it was 17. I was 17. And so, and that was kind of a learned behavior. It was kind of a social contagion, um, mm. because I knew that I had this obsession with, um, you know, weight loss or what have you and read in an American magazine when I was living in Spain about purging so anyway I entered that cycle and so it was you know it, it got out of control but the one thing that nobody can ever tell me is that I didn't try to get out of it and I tried a number of things from reading books to going on diets which obviously didn't work to therapy to um, eventually um, a 12-step group for recovery helped me a lot. I wrote about my experience and it became a book in Spain, which was a bestseller in Spanish. And that actually was not exactly the road to my recovery. It caused me to relapse because I got so much attention and I wasn't ready for it. I was 30 years old and I was mm. not out of the woods. But but it was just, it was not just one thing. And it wasn't like, oh, an aha moment. It was dedication and to a certain extent maybe luck i've read that 30 percent. i think i think it's 30 percent is a long time since i've talked about this but of uh women with eating disorders or people with eating disorders um kind of recover just because you know but i also believe it's all the work i put in there and then there was a big driver which is i wanted to be a mother i wanted to have children and when I was young, I always thought I want to have the age difference that my dad and I have, which is 24 years. So I did not want to be a mother if I hadn't been a mother by 25. Of course, life had it other, a different way. Right, because you had your first at 37, as it turns at out, right? And the second yeah. at 40. And so I 
I took really good care of myself to be a mom, mentally, physically, and um, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And honestly, once I, it was like this year, this is when we're going to do it, this is when we're going to try, that was the end of my eating disorder. It is not for everybody. I know that pregnancy triggers eating disorder worse in many women. For yeah. me, so not maybe if we're not talking specifically about eating disorder, but what I'm what I am hearing in mm -hmm. what worked for you, of course, is all the work that you did mm -hmm. before for that. Decades. Right. <laughs> so so decades. it's not like overnight. <laughs> no. <laughs> but then and this is I think really important is when you have something to move to that is inspiring to you that gives you hope mm -hmm. that 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 where there's like this this driving need to do something because if you don't do it you know it, you you'll feel a loss mm -hmm. and 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 i think that that is so key to have something that pulls you forward with it's a very strong why mm -hmm. to, that that you can overcome I think so much, so often we all have had things in our life where it's like, I've tried before, I've tried to get past this, I've never been able to get past this, I've never been able to do blah, blah, fill in the blanks, right? I can't lose weight, I can't, I can't, I can't, right? But then when something happens that is there, where you've got i feel i feel like it has to be like a positive drawing forward something it could be, that it, is... could be it could be negative i have a maybe yeah cool but a very close family member who i love more than life itself um who was uh is a recovering alcoholic and couldn't get sober couldn't get clean couldn't get sober until our aunt my mother's sister who was also an alcoholic died in a fire caused by falling asleep with a cigarette in the room that was the driver for that person. To that's a really good sober. point. That's and a that's really been good point. Thirty years. Wow. And, and and so you know it could be negative or it it has to be, but it has to be that you want to in any addiction. Yeah. You know, in any in any destructive, um, any destructive behavior, honestly you have to really want to, and you can't give up. I mean, it's it would have been easy for me to give up very early on you yeah. know um and i didn't and you did i still don't you know? that's it man it felt failure's only failure if you don't get up again yeah but once again you know it's like last year i said goodbye to my father because he had cancer and he can't have chemo because of his heart and we didn't know whether he was going to survive the surgery the doctors didn't know and that was a long year, you know, where my dad and I went through all this process of, of I don't know, it was, it was tough, man. And, and, but the thing is that I kept reading about death and about letting go. And, and the night that he was having surgery, or the day he was getting, having surgery, I did not wish for him to live. I wish for the best outcome, mm -hmm. whatever that may be. Like I wanted him to live, but if he was not going to live the way that he could, that he wanted to, like it was going to be physically impaired severely, that would mess up with his brain. I don't want that for my dad. You know, so it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, so it's not easy. You know, it's, it's, life isn't, 
it's not like, oh, I'll achieve this and then I'll be happy. No, because then it's like, we yeah, think I don't it have is, order, but I'm getting older and I have all kinds of, of, you know, physical things happening as well because of stress probably and stuff like that. But, you know, you deal with it. And that's, I think, the most important thing. Um, sometimes I, I do not have patience with people who come to me and complain. But then when they say, how do you do this? Like, how do you make a living online? And then I tell them. And they're like, oh, but that's too much work. Well, then, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Then you're not cut out for it. Then do something yeah. else. Of course, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what you've done, and I'm just like, I can only imagine how much work that's been. It's incredible. Well, I mean, now I work less and make more, honestly. But when I started, I worked around the clock. And now I can hire other people to do different things, you know, but at the very beginning, I couldn't. And um, when I launched the website, I remember my husband and I were writing feverishly, like, um, you know, and, and we, we populated the site with a bunch of posts, you know, as soon as it went live. And, and you know, it was, it was, we didn't wait for things to be perfect. I didn't have a logo. I didn't, I started, it started as a personal blog because I, I still had this other gig as an editor in chief, so I couldn't really start my own thing. You know, but it's like, the, the difference, I think, between, you know, when people think a lot about, oh, but I want to make it perfect. There are people I've known for years, I mean, maybe even decades, who are still thinking about this project they're going to start. And I already did Viva 50 and, and I'm evolving and continuing. And that might not be where I end up. I might do some more stuff, you know, and right. I don't know. But I don't believe in waiting till everything is perfect because then you'll never do anything you are such a great example i have I, as a recovering perfectionist like just starting the <laughs> podcast the only way i was able to finally do it was just to be like girl done mm -hmm. like the whole my new favorite quote is done is better than perfect and so i put a lot of stuff out there that i'm like well it is what it is but it's out there now and at least i can, at least i can say it's out there and i did that and i will do better next time but that's true <laughs> you know it's, it's i've always learned everything like you can only improve if you're doing yeah you no know, if you're not doing anything you can't improve but the point being that what i've learned to do is channel my addictive and compulsive personality, which a lot of people are saying now that that doesn't exist in the addictive personality, but the, but I am compulsive. I'm like, if I say that I'm going to do this and this and this, I'm going to do this and this and this. Like, I don't understand people who don't take their pills or who have a hard time like exercising or because I have, it's part of who I am. But the thing is that if instead of t doing drugs or alcohol or something negative, I channel this into producing things then I am, I am kind of feeding, because when you stop an addiction, you have to fill it with something else. Mm. Addiction to food or to drugs or whatever takes time and energy. And so when you stop doing that, you need to fill it up with something or you're gonna go back to destructive behavior. So for me, it was like, although somehow I was always uh, able to function in life and do things despite what I was going through, but at the same time, um, it's just that for me, it's been channeling my flaws and make them work for me. I wish I could tell you, oh, no, I'm this person that is so disciplined and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just not. And what happens is just that, that I've, I'm like, what are my flaws or this and this and this? Well, how can I put them to work and turn them into a positive? That's gold. That's I love that. Yeah, I love that.
I love I mean, I'm a, I'm a really neurotic person. You do not want to be me. <laughs> Even my husband, who's super neurotic, we, we always say, if the life, what is it? If the, unexam- the unexamined life is not worth living, then ours is worth millions and millions of dollars because we <laughs> analyze it up and down and all around way too much. So. You don't want to I'm going to ask you one last question. It was just golden. But what I want to ask you is 59, right? Yeah, next month, yeah. Next month. What do you like best about this stage of life where you are right now? Well, I just like that I I like I know myself better and I know from experience. I wouldn't say have wisdom, but I have experience. And experience tells me that I have overcome a bunch of stuff, that I am a doer, that um, life is worth living despite the troubles. And, and that's kind of it, you know? I don't really think... I don't think that 59 is better than being 29. I don't think it's better than 21. My 59 is better than my 21. But when I look at my 21-year-old daughter, she's kicking butt. And she is living the life life the way that I wish I had known to when I was Mm. her age. So I don't think it's about an age. I think it's about one's individual journey. You could be like my kid's 21 and an old soul, honestly and has more wisdom than a lot of 40-year-olds that I know. Um, So it's not, I don't think it's about age. I think it's about experience and what I have learned from my experiences. It just happens that now I'm 59 and I can't really do anything about it, can I? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It is what it is. There's there's power in accepting reality um, and moving through it. For like some people is. say, I know you're so proud of your age. I'm like, I'm not proud. I'm just, it is what it is. You know, it's like, I'm, it's not like I did something you know, to be this age. <laughs> I just, I'm grateful that I'm alive. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and for sharing your story. So, so generously. No, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's a vacation for me <laughs> to talk. Yeah. Good. Well, there you have it. You know, it can be really easy to look at someone with Lorraine's success to see how beautiful she is at the age of 59 and not dig deeper to the story behind what brought her here. She's overcome so much from an eating disorder to being a single mom bankrupt and having to go on welfare to feed her kids. We didn't even dig into the fact that she was also an immigrant having to navigate life in a new country in her 40s. So here's your reminder, and frankly, a reminder to myself to not get stuck thinking that our current situation is what defines us. Our future still lies before us. Yes, even in midlife. So go after what you want. Your past does not have to define your future. If you want some support as you travel into your next chapter and are itching to make some waves as you age, I want to invite you to join the Midlife Uprising community for women. I know your time is precious, so it doesn't require a lot of your time. Once a month, we get together on Zoom to reimagine our futures together and shake up the old story that it's too late. You can check it out at midlifeuprising.com. And of course, feel free to reach out to me via email or Instagram if you have any questions about it, okay? 
And if you'd like more information about Lorraine, just go to latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast and click on the show notes for episode 113. There are links to her Instagram feed, her Viva 50 blog, which is full of great articles in English and Spanish, and her YouTube channel where you'll find all kinds of content from short yoga and fitness videos to videos with her thoughts on aging, staying healthy, and beauty tips. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.